What's good, everybody? Happy Friday. It's Friday today. Yep, happy Game Free Day. The Celtics on their way down to Atlanta to play the first game in Atlanta's backyard. As usual, I'm Adam Taylor. I'm joined by my good friend, my podcasting co-host, Mr. Keith Smith. Keith, how are you today? I'm doing well, man. Anytime it's a game day, I start, you know, I wake up a little more excited. I'm a little, a little more ready to go and attack today. So so despite spending my morning uh, at the car dealership getting an oil change, which is always an oh-so-fun process, I was able to get a little bit of work done and, and I'm ready, man. I'm, I'm ready. Now it'll just be, you know, along, what is it? It's basically 11 a.m. here on the East Coast. So it'll be, you know, what's that? Eight more hours to go so yeah know, we'll, we'll we'll hang in there so right is it a seven it is a seven o'clock so at least it's that right at least it's not you know seven thirty or eight but yeah yeah, yeah it I'm could excited. be worse right could be yeah, a 10 o'clock game yeah. could be a yeah. west coast yeah. 10 p.m game uh, just for anybody uh, that's new here this is the celtics collective podcast we're brought to you by heavy on sports make sure to go check out heavy on sports if you are on the east coast pray that there are no 10 30 p.m games between now and the end of the season because they suck if you're in anywhere but the West Coast, that's just not a good time to start the game. But I digress. So I think the best thing we should do, seems we haven't been on air since game two, is we'll look back before we look forward. I think perfect. that's only I think that makes perfect sense to me. So let's go, let's cast our mind back all these days ago. Like feels like a year, but it was literally like 48 hours ago <laughs> to game two where the Celtics started slow, Malcolm Brogdon. Sixth man of the year, Malcolm Brogdon. Excuse me, I digress. Sixth man yeah, of the there year, we go. Malcolm Brogdon. Doing that love, baby. Comes off the bench along with Robert Williams and just absolutely changes the flow of the game after a really sluggish start for Boston, and they don't look back. It, from there on out, it was all Boston all the time, and a lot of the same issues we saw for Atlanta in Game 1 reared their head in Game 2. And then Boston did the one thing that, they, that you pointed out personally, Keith, that they didn't do in game one. And they took a bit of advantage of Trey Young. They, 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 they toyed around. Trey Young messed around and found out. So I just want to get your kind of thoughts on how that game went. Did you see any major adjustments from either side? And just, just see what, where your mindset is coming out of game two from what you kind of took, took away in your watch. And then rewatch because that's what we do over here. Yeah, I think you hit on the big things. I, I, you know, it was a sluggish start for Boston for sure. And I, I thought they, the Hawks were a little bit more an attack mindset to open this game, too. And I thought, um, uh, they did a little bit more with DeJounte Murray acting as the on ball facilitator. And they had Clint Capella basically playing way off Al Horford to open the game. He wasn't even like near Horford. And once the Celtics started to, Oh, okay. We see how you're covering this because their goal obviously was we're going to try and they ultimately failed, but we're going to try to keep you from destroying us at the rim all game long like you did in game two. And they started out okay with that. Capella had a nice block on Jalen Brown. Um, he had a couple other contests where Celtics all of a sudden was like, all right, I guess maybe we're not just going to stroll into layup after layup. Then Brogdon and Rob Williams got in. They kind of the, the Hawks then moved away from Capella oddly and went went to a Kong who who has played well, but I thought in this game Capella was off to a nice start. Uh, and then the Celtics just kind of settled into a rhythm. And once they get into a rhythm, and it was like, okay, here's how you're going to defend us. The Hawks don't have a chance to stop them. Atlanta can get some points. They just can't get enough stops to to you know keep it competitive. They just don't have the the personnel. And to your point on Trey Young, 
I looked at this as more, it was less hunting Trey Young and more just they found him repeatedly. And it was just through good ball movement, good player movement. Uh, there were, I called out some actions on the piece for Celtics blog in the takeaways where it was like, I don't even know what the Hawks were doing on defense here. They, they had three plays where they put two on the ball on Derek White, who we're going to get into, had a big game. But they did that out of pick and roll to leave Jason Tatum wide open. And it's like, that seems like a really odd choice. But sure, why not? I guess, right? I mean, maybe maybe you're going to catch him so shocked. He's going to be like, well, what's happening? I don't have a defender within 10 feet. So there was just a lot of weird stuff out of Atlanta. And then it's just one of those things again. And I know like the people who are nitpicking everything with the Celtics are like, but they, they let up a big lead again and all that stuff. But again, they never were really threatened, right? The Hawks never even got it to the point where they could tie it or anything like that. So it never felt like the Celtics were out of control. And I just think they were like, look, we don't need to win by 40. Now, it'd be nice if they would have kept it, you know, for the entirety of the game up in the 20s, because then he could have sat some guys. And that was my one nitpick with Joe Missoula was, all right, you're up by 20 with two minutes to go. Like, if the bench blows this, y'all deserve to be fired and, waved and everything else and let's start over so that part is a little i don't like that but you know that's now i'm being the nitpicky one so for the most part loved it thought they played great you know really good setup for what's to come the rest of the series yeah i mean we've hit everything basically there are no defensive strongholds for atlanta dejounte murray's kind of like their shining light on both sides of the floor right now um I think I just want to point out as well, I know a lot of Celtics fans were really big on John Collins and I've seen some John Collins discourse. And I want to say that he's playing bad. He's not playing well at all. But this Hawks team is limiting him. I don't... You When you build a team, you try and make sure that everyone accentuates it so that they, they kind of build up each other's talent and skill set. And right now, everything Collins is being asked to do is the opposite of what he's good at. Or yeah. it's limiting the amount of good he does. You know, you want him on the perimeter in kind of an Al Horford role, that pick and pop big that can rebound, that can guard on the perimeter switch. They're not asking him to do any of that stuff. And yeah. when you look at the limited offensive threats that they have, Bogdanovich has been decent. He's been okay. I feel like he's their best bench contributor, which is obvious. Uh, Murray's been good. Trey Young's been absent. And John, you look at Collins as like a potential swing factor, but they just haven't figured out how to utilize him with the pieces they've got. And if you can't get the best out of your second and third players, like you're, if you can't get the best out of your second best and third best players, you're in for a tough time. I don't know if you ever watched the old South Parks where where they're learning to um they're learning to ski, and it's if you pizza when you French fry when you should French fry, you're gonna have a bad time. Do you remember that episode? <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I- they're, they're, I think too with Collins to your point is and this is now we're in like year two or even kind of year three of him not always being used correctly. And then guys who don't like he's a rhythm shooter, like he needs 15 shots a game and he needs them to come consistently. It can't just come off of all right, well, you got two pick and pops, two lobs, two offensive rebound putbacks, two where he just ran the floor. Like those are things where it's like. Uh, you need to utilize them more. Like, and, and they spend just, you know, I'm sure it won't change. So in game three, watch the amount of time. It's just, oh, John Collins is just in the deep corner, just hanging out while everything else is going on on the other side of the floor. And if you, you kind of flip that to the other side, like Al Horford is at the point of his career where he can do that. 
right? He can hang out there, and he's done that in these first two games. Hasn't seen a lot of shots, but when the balls come his way, he's knocked them down, and they'll keep, keep things moving. Grant Williams can do that to some extent. He he needs a few more touches, just regular touches to, to kind of keep going. So, but yeah, man, it's it's I. I I left, I usually kind of game one, you're like, all right, what are the adjustments or did you just play bad? I think it's Seth part now um, coin. The the best adjustment you can make is to play better. And and there's a lot of truth to that, but I look at it as, all right, now we're, we're Oh two in the series. If they're the Hawks, what can you do? What can you go to? That's different. And I just, I don't see it. There's just not much unless they are like, you know what? We are going to race up and down the floor all game long and that's what we're going to do. And we're going to try to win this thing 130 to 125. And I think they're in a lot of danger if they try to play that way. Cause I just think Boston will be like, okay, fine. That's what we're going to do. Cool. We're still going to lock you down and make it hard on you to score. And well, and instead it'll be 125 to 110 or something like that. And that's where I just, I don't know where, you know, Atlanta's going to go from here. I, I just, I worry that they, they don't have anything left to do. You know, when I, worries of a relative term i'm really not that worried about it i think that they did try a few things atlanta did they went they ran without trey for a while and they, they looked good there they went small they looked good there but outside of that if you can hear the puppy i apologize <laughs> I, he, wants, he wants me to get him something from under the table i'll do it in a moment <laughs> but outside of that they don't really have anything available for them that can make these changes so rather than beating that same drum i want to go and look at somebody that does have some alterations they can make and that is just be more Derek white first of all i want to give a shout out to jack simone from heavy and celtics blog for writing an absolute monster of a player profile um i thought that was arguably one of the best articles i've read in the past year maybe two yeah great stuff yeah yeah and i want to give credit there because those type of articles um, they, they are not easy to do. They're not easy to get going, to get over the line. So many moving parts and perseverance that you need to put in there. So I just want to give him a shout out before we go any further because look, this industry, everybody's always competing with each other and sometimes you just need to take a step back and give somebody that, that hat tip. So mm-hmm. I want Jack to, I just wanted to give Jack a shout out. But yeah, for guys, point- to Adam's point, if you haven't read it, go over to Celtics blog. It's right on the cover. Uh, it's, you know, it's right there and read it. It's a great game. It'll give you a lot of understanding into who did who Derek White is. It's a honestly, you need to definitely go check it out. And I just want like Jack works his butt off, man. If you read yeah. any of the work anywhere, he works at Heavy, he works at Celtics blog. The dude is constantly in front of his computer. So just yeah. to give him that shout out, give him that bit of love. Back to Derek White, because we're talking about people getting love. The dude, first of all, there was a possession or two where he was in the dunker spot. Now, when your guard is scoring out of being in the dunker spot, <laughs> like you know things are going really, really well. And to me, I just find that hilariously like common. And he's not Jalen Brown, who's like a super no. athlete down there either. He's you know, six foot three, six foot four guard just kind of hanging out at the rim. Yeah. He's an average guy. Yeah. He's just an he's just an average guy that can hoop. He's a hooper's hooper. But there's times when he was down under Dunker spot making things happen. He gets to the free throw line, he gets the MVP chance from the home court crowd. Uh obviously Tatum was really happy for him. I would I would have played if I had the opportunity, I think I would have joked with Tatum a bit more and been like, Are you happy or are you just play- pretending to be? Right. Obviously he was happy, <laughs> but you need to poke the bear sometimes. Um, not like Dylan Brooks with LeBron James. Don't yeah. do that. 
Don't be that. Yeah, don't poke that bear. That that LeBron's gonna poke some bears himself, grizzly bears, in their next Ooh, game. It's gonna be uh, that, yeah. Dylan Brooks is just uh someone bought into their own hype and it wasn't a lot of hype. <laughs> um, but I just want to get your thoughts on Derek White. There's a lot being said at the moment. I do feel like at the moment he's the favorite Celtic, he's taken over that Marcus Smart role, except he's not as polarizing as what Marcus Smart is. He's playing hard on both ends, he's scoring across all three levels. His decision making is fantastic. I just want to see where you are. Like, obviously, the MVP chance were more of a way to show love than genuinely believing he's an MVP. But he's definitely deserving, right? I mean, you know, you, you speak to people, you know, you know what it was like for him in San Antonio. Did they love him this much? They did. They they did. Spurs fans were. It was funny. It was very bittersweet, I think, for them when he got traded because it was like, man, he's like our guy. Like he was our late first round pick. Like we built him up into the player. They they loved him. They were I dude, let's go all the way back to the bubble, right? When they were playing to try to get in to, to the playoffs, the Spurs were. And Derek White had some huge games. And then he had a couple like lockdown um like defensive performances and it was funny because I was, I was like man you know Derek White is like San Antonio's version of Marcus Smart like just with the way the fans love him the way he plays and Spurs fans like instantly found that and we're like he's better than Marcus Smart and you're crazy you know and it was just kind of funny and now that they're teammates it's just hilarious to me but yeah I mean he's just one of those guys I think people just you know they love him because he's I mean this comes out in Jack's piece that we referenced he's just super humble just wants to do his thing just wants to be a part of things you know win be a part of the team but very very competitive guy um but not kind of we just talked about Dylan Brooks right Dylan Brooks obviously extremely competitive but over the top he's hyperbolic he's gonna you know say a lot of things Derek White's just as competitive he's just pretty quiet right he's just gonna go about go go about his work he is to me he's kind of the definition of like silent assassin right like he He's not going to say much, but he's going to kill you, right? And then you're just going to be like, oh, man, like, you know, the next thing we know, we're done, you know, with Derek White. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I think we're in a spot where, you know, with the Celtics, he is, um, you know, playing really, really well, um, you know, with, within this group. He's doing all of the stuff they ask him to do. Defense, incredible, right? One of the best, yeah. um, you know, shot blocking guards that in the league, one of the best shot blocking guards we've seen in several years. I mean, and he's do does it in all different ways, right? He'll come with come up with the help blocks, he'll come with the straight, you know, man on man blocks, the recovery blocks, all sorts of things, the strips as well. That you know, those ones I always feel like should go down as steals and not blocks, but I get it because it's a shot attempt. So you can't steal a shot attempt. So I get why they do it the way they do. But yeah, he's just he he really is. He, he's just you know unbelievably special player and Celtics are really lucky to have him. And, you know, when you have him, Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon, who are all equally skilled at playing on or off the ball, that's huge. And the off ball part can't be overstated because we know the offense is going to feature Tatum and Brown with the ball in their hands a lot as it should. So that turns into, if you can't play away from the ball, you just you're not gonna be able to play, right? And then we've seen that at times with certain guys just don't fit, you know, in this mix. Like, like, and I'm not saying he's on that level, but Jeff Teague just yeah. couldn't play off ball. So all of a sudden, what looked like, oh, Jeff Teague's you know decent signing, he'll be in there as a backup point guard. All of a sudden, he's completely out of things because because you can't play him because he couldn't function away from the ball, 
um, very well. So, you know, that's that's just huge that those guys can do that. And it allows all three of them to play together and play together at times, too, you know, in yeah. three guard align- alignments, which has, you know, been something we haven't seen a ton of, but, you know, Missoula's, you know, gone to that on occasion. They're all three's ability to step up, defend up a position or two positions at times has been big. So, yeah, and I thought, you know, Derek White, wonderful game, and he's – my favorite thing about him is he just kind of gives the Celtics whatever they need. If it's, are right, you need me to score? Great. I'll score. Oh, you need me to be the playmaker tonight? Great. I'll go get you eight, nine assists. Like he just adapts to whatever it is while always giving really good uh, defense. I'm going to say one more thing um, on this, this topic too. Super fun to watch twice. It happened one in each half. Him and DeJounte Murray. Murray picked him up full court and you were just like, man, this must have played out hundreds if not thousands of times in the Spurs practice facility and White you know Murray did all this stuff to try and bother him and White just kind of patiently moseyed his way down the court got all the way to the basket and laid it in and it wasn't like at no point did he beat Murray off the dribble or anything he just kind of got to his spot and laid it in and one of them took about 12 seconds but it was just kind of funny where it's like Man, he just kind of did his thing here and not completely nonplussed by Murray's pressure or anything else. So yeah, just you know, fun player. Glad to see him getting all the love he's getting because you know it was uh, the initial reactions to that trade were a little ridiculous and over the top because yeah. I've stayed multiple yeah. multiple times. And I think that you know I've said this on the last episode the the subplot of White and Murray going against each other is actually quite fun because neither of them are obnoxious. They're both quite humble guys. You can tell they came up in that Greg Popovich system where it's basketball first and everything else second. And seeing them two go at it just for a couple of possessions a game is it's refreshing, right? Because it's friendly competitiveness, which leads me on because I do feel like when you look at what the Hawks are doing, Murray is pretty much the only guy that's found any success against this Celtics defense, mm-hmm. right? Against the Derek White, against the Malcolm Brogdon, against the Marcus Smart. May I just say Marcus Smart, 2022 Defensive Player of the Year, Derek White, 2023 All-NBA Defensive Team Candidate, most likely going to get in there. Malcolm Brogdon, 2023 Six-Man of the Year. That is not an easy group of guards to have to go up against, and they're going at you one, two, three at a time. It's really difficult, and Brogdon is still finding ways to get his shot off. He shot more threes. I think that was a big adjustment from Atlanta as a whole, was just, hey, we're going to try and beat you at your own game. We're just not as talented as you, so let's hope it works. But I feel like, overall, DeJounte Murray appears to be the only Hawks player capable of doing any form of damage. It's just not going to be enough to get it done. But I did want to give him his flowers because he's playing his he's playing his ass off. Yeah, it's tough, I think, for the Hawks because you lost the game where DeJounte Murray shot better from three than he's probably ever going to shoot again, uh, you know, at least in this series. So that that's part one where that's difficult. And then I think part two is you're right. Like he's been the only guy who's been able to really create good stuff off the dribble because for Trey Young, every once in a while he does because he's Trey Young, right? And that's what he what he does. But for the most part, it's either he's having a hard time shaking generally smart or white uh when boston picks up the switches what they're doing is i've noticed is wherever it picks him up whether it be tatum or brown or one of the bigs they're just getting all the way up into his body and really saying hey if you're gonna put it on the floor and beat us off the bounce that's one thing 
but we're going to stay pressed up on you. And that's going to be how it is. We're just not going to give you anything easy here. Um, so he's had some troubles. And then the rest of the team is just, you know, the, I don't know the, anybody else on that roster you want more taking more than a couple dribbles, right? Because it's just, you know, both Hunter and Bay, their tunnel vision, once they get the ball, it's like if they even put it on the floor once, they're going up with a shot. They're they're not making any plays off the bounce to pass. So I think the Celtics defense is doing a really good job kind of limiting what they want, except for when Mari gets in and gets to that pull-up. That pull-up jumper of his is just so smooth. He gets so high on the release, and then he has the release way back here behind his head too. So it's it's just an unblockable shot. So he just gets into it uh, really, really well. And that's you know what I think. If you're the Celtics, it's it's against any good team. And I know we're kind of you know we've said that Celtics are cruising here over the Hawks. They're still a good team because you're in the playoffs. Generally, you know to make the playoffs, you have to be at least a you know good team. And I think with the Hawks, it is you can't take away everything. So I think Boston's like, if we're gonna live with anything, if we're gonna live with you know Dejounte Murray taking you know twenty five shots a game, all right, that's that's the thing we can live with. That's that's better than Trey Young setting up the bigs and the wings, you know, over and over and over again, or getting into the paint himself and all that stuff. So you know, you live with that and kind kind of go. And so far, so good. I feel like we've kind of harped on about the players and the series as a whole. So I want to start looking ahead to game three, right? Yeah. Also, I want to say that shot where you put it right behind your head, I like to call that the old man jumper because <laughs> I feel like the older you get, the further back you bring the ball in behind your head. And yeah, I don't know you get it, can't get it off, right? You don't, you don't have the lift or quickness. <laughs> so you got to find other ways. Trust me, man, I've adapted. My own I'm game, adapted. That's, that's part of it. <laughs> And then you start going to the tricks, or you start, you know, pulling out the hook shots and the other stuff because it's like, all right, none of this stuff works against these kids anymore. I gotta, I gotta find. Stuff. And they're so much better than what we were when we were oh, their age. Not even close. Yeah, you know, it's a, and it's then unfair. it turns into, you know, every the older you get, the more you have a uh, back down post up game, and then you're like. You're starting to back down from like half court. It's like, you know, Mark Jackson style from the 90s where it's like, I'm going to back you all the way down from half court and get into something in the post just because it's, you know, generally we're bigger, you know, and you can can kind of bounce these kids around a little bit. But yeah, I played um, my 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 cousin's son plays basketball and um, I played against him and a few of his friends the other day and I Euro stepped and it was like I felt like the bowling ball going down the alley. <laughs> Because I was like, every every time I'm coming near one of these kids, I'm so much bigger. I'm like, I need to really finesse my body. And like, I'm older now. I don't have the same level of butt contortionist body control that I used to. And uh, these kids were going flying. And I was just like, you know what? You shouldn't be on the court with me. It's your own fault. I'm going to score. And uh, if you hit if you hit the floor, you hit the floor. Yeah, I if I tried to Eurostep anybody now, I'd probably tear both ACLs and I'd be done. And that'd be, be the end of it. <laughs> end of it for me for a long time. I'm going to say there was one where they called travel and I called Gava step. And because I'm older, <laughs> I win. <laughs> I love it. Right. Moving on. We've got Jalen Brown heading down to Atlanta, playing in his hometown in front of a hometown crowd on multiple occasions over the last season and a half, maybe two seasons. The, the question always comes to Brown. What's it like playing for him? I mean, it's just a silly question. What's he yeah. going to say? Horrible. No, I hate playing in front of my yeah. friends and family. No, he's happy. But, Generally, he seems to play really well when he plays in Atlanta's building. And mm -hmm. he's playing with this hand injury. You know, maybe the stitches are in a bit of a bad position. Maybe 
it's affecting his ability to get shots off or whatever. But I just want to know, are you expecting like a Jalen Brown first quarter? And I think any Celtics fan knows exactly what I mean when I say that. Like, are you expecting that type of JB even just for 12 minutes or eight minutes? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if there's, you know, he gets going and is the, the one he tends to be. Tatum tends to feel his way into games a little bit more. Like it's, I'm not, I promise I'm not comparing them to MJ and Scotty because they're they're not at that level. Like they, they just aren't. But I think what we see with with them at times is let's, um that's how they approach it where it used to be MJ would feel his way into games and Scotty, they like, let's get Scotty going. Let's make sure we get horse grant a couple shots. Let's get other guys moving. And then MJ would, you know, late first quarter, second quarter would be like, all right, I'm ready to go. Now I see what they're doing and do an attack. That's kind of the approach the Celtics have had over the last few years where it's, yeah, let JB get going right out of the gate. I think he's somebody who he doesn't need any time to get going. He just comes with energy right away and goes and then it's all right let's see how tatum can kind of you know feel his way into the game so i think that is a spot where yeah it wouldn't surprise me at all if he goes it's funny because i feel like the hand stuff is bothering him more with the dribbling and passing than anything else i mean he's shooting fine i know it's only two games but you know 51 percent from the field 40 percent from three um you know so he's basically you know he's upped his his regular season numbers just slightly but you know he's done done well shooting the ball and i think it's probably because shooting is you know it's not so much your hand right it's it's with more with your fingers where it's coming off of so he's probably okay with that it's it's the everything else seems like it still probably bother him a little a little messy but i I don't know. It's just one of those things where I wonder, you know, you don't really give rest days in the playoffs, but I do wonder it's like he would probably be well served by, hey, one of these 20, 25 point leads, let's keep it and let's get JB like, you know, steal him some in-game rest where, you know, he only needs to play 24 minutes tonight and we'll let the bench guys kind of run it from there. So, so we'll see, but yeah, I expect them to be fine and probably play quite well in game three. Are you and then the next question that leads me on to, and I'll kind of let us wrap up with this one. How much are you expecting Atlanta's crowd to play a factor here? Like, do you think that, like, my mentality is you come in, you do what you've done the last in the first game and partially in the second game, you, you get going early, you build a lead early, the same way you have been, take the crowd out of the game, and then there's, it's like you're playing a home game at that point, it's just quiet. So it's not a home game, actually, but it's not an away game either. Um, I feel like if you allow Atlanta to feed off that energy, you're asking for trouble there because that's when Trey can ignite and start doing mm-hmm. some crazy stuff. It's when DeJounte Murray will turn into like a Super Saiyan for, for a quarter and just go <laughs> nuts. Where, where, if you can get them quiet early and keep them quiet, I think this is just an easy two-game stretch. And then by Monday, we're already watching film of Philadelphia. Yeah, especially after... Brooklyn couldn't hang on down the stretch last night. That, that one's probably done too, right? That's probably going to wrap up with, with that one. So, yeah, I think I, I it's not. I don't want to knock Atlanta's crowd, but they've they've been very hit or miss over over the years. It seems to take them a while to be like, all right, this team's for real. They're worth you know fully buying into and supporting. And I think this is one where if the Celtics can get a big lead early, we may just see the Hawks fans and the Hawks players just kind of be like, we're done. You know, we're bowing out. Like this is, this is a, you get them, get these guys thinking about vacation, you know, midway through game three. And then, you know, you'll probably 
you know, run through them in game four with very little issue. And I think, I think we're close, you know, to, to that. So we'll, we'll see. I would expect the Hawks best effort out of this. Generally team goes down O2 in a series going home. They usually do look for a little bit of a lift, but you know, I think with the Celtics team too, the bulk of these guys have played in so many huge games over the years, including all the way last year. Like they're not going to go into that crowd thinking like, Oh man, like this is tough when they played, you know, a game six in Milwaukee, a game seven in Miami games in the chase center, you know, against the warriors in the finals, like they're, they're not going to be you know, overly worried about anything with the Atlanta crowd. And they'll just, they'll just play through it and probably play quite well tonight. I, I picked a sweep ahead of the, the series. Nothing I've seen has moved me off that. I, you know, maybe I'm wrong and, you know, maybe they'll kind of lay an egg tonight because we know the Celtics do tend to every once in a while just kind of no-show a game. But I think they're pretty well locked in, and I, I'd be surprised if that happens. To be honest, I came into the series expecting a gentleman's sweep. I thought there would be one game where they lose. I've changed course. Um, my broom's ready. I'm ready to start <laughs> sweeping up right now. I'm going to put little pictures of Trey Young on the floor and then sweep them up. There you um, go. Yeah, obviously I wouldn't do that really because he's far better at basketball than I am, so who am I to judge? Um, but as a Celtics fan, yeah, I think this is going to be another win tonight. I don't see a path forward for Atlanta. I think just finish them off at home. Let let them just, you know, they're already in Atlanta. They can just go home, suitcases packed. Let's go on our cruises or our flights. And then, you know, by Monday, by the time we record again, we don't even need to talk about Atlanta because there's a Joel Embiid and a James Harden waiting for you. And that's going to need a far more significant amount of attention. But I, And I, I think you're right, Adam. I think that's where we're headed. I think I'm going to be very surprised if Philly doesn't sweep the Nets. Like, I think that series is over by, you know, mid-afternoon on Saturday. And then, yeah, and then, then I think – then it's kind of up to the Celtics, right? And one thing, if you're the Celtics too, if you do get up 3-0, finish it off. Like, don't mess around. There's no reason to play an extra game. You just, anytime you play, it's not it's not worried about like, oh, they're going to come back from down, you know, 3-0 and you'll win the series or anything like that. It's just more of anytime you start playing extra games, it's just one more game of miles and minutes you got to put on guys. Just, you know, when you get a team down, let's finish them off, move on, get ready for the next one. And I've got one, sorry, one thing. I saw a tweet off you earlier where you was tweeting, it was yesterday, you tweeted about the Philly game, someone's accused you of being biased, and you were like, I'm not biased, it doesn't matter who comes through the series, Philly or Brooklyn, they're not causing the Celtics any issues. I haven't really, to be honest, I've kind of left that series alone. I don't enjoy watching Philly play at the best of times. I will go back and watch the games as and when it's confirmed that these two are going to play each other, which is a formality at this point. Um, but you've been watching them. Are you not concerned in the slightest? No, not, not at all. I Definitely not with the Nats, and they're done now anyway, so it's really Philadelphia. I Two things. History tells me not to be concerned. It took you know, them getting a monster Joel Embiid performance to get a close win over Boston without Rob Williams and Jalen Brown. Anytime these two teams have met, even with the Celtics at anything approaching full health, just it, it hasn't been you know good for Philly. And, you know, until something changes, I'm going to go back to Joel Embiid said it right himself. It's not a rivalry because they always kick our butts. You know, I think he might have used slightly different language, but I'll keep it clean here for, for the families listening out there. So, but I, I'm with them. Like, I – 
Like, yeah, I just, you know, I, and honestly, Embiid, he played like crap last game uh, against the Nets. Last night, he really did not look good. And there, and he made plays at the end, and PJ Tucker made a bunch of plays, and Tyrese Maxey was awesome. But it's a little like, man, you guys are, if you look at the scoring margins in these Nets games, it looks like they're just destroying them. But a couple of these games, last night in game one, definitely, they were very close, and they just kind of ran away at the end of these games. So, yeah, I nothing concerns me. I'm, I'm not going to say the Celtics are going to sweep Philly or anything like that, but we'll see, you know, should it come to pass, and I'll dive in and I'll make a real prediction then. But, yeah, I, I nothing there really scares me as far as, like, yeah, this team's all of a sudden going to show up because even if Embiid, Embiid may average 45 and 20, in a series against Boston. And I think Celtics are like, that's cool, but we won four games, so it doesn't really matter. And with that being said, I'm going to leave it on that note. Keith, as always, it's a pleasure, man. Everybody listening, if the Celtics do win both games over the weekend, we will give you a quick recap, but it's most likely going to be 10 minutes at most because otherwise we're just going to say the same things we've said for the first two games. <laughs> and to be quite honest, Philly, are, Philly will at least give us some decent talking points and some decent matchups, even if the Celtics are just about to make them their friends too. You can read that however you want. Everybody have a great day. You've been listening to the um, Celtics Collective from Heavy on Sports. Keith, always a pleasure, man. Bye-bye. Absolutely. Everybody.